Hi, this is Jamie Pride, and welcome to the Failure Proof Podcast. Thank you for joining us on the podcast where we explore performance, leadership, resilience, and the mindset needed to thrive in the modern workplace. On this episode, I'm joined by Boulder Toll. Boulder is the general manager of WeWork Australia, which he joined in 2016 as its first employee. Prior to joining WeWork, Boulder was Airbnb's first Australian hire and was also the general manager of Tankstream Labs. During this conversation, Boulder discusses the impact of the pandemic on the office environment and how it will transform in the future. He also shares his views on the future of work and how he led the WeWork team through an immense amount of turbulence and uncertainty. This is a fantastic interview and I hope you enjoy it. On today's podcast, I'm joined by Balder Tor. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's um, so great for you to, to join us today. And it's one of my first face-to-face podcasts back. I feel like it's normal again. And how good is the energy in the room? <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah. I, get to, I get to see you. Uh, so you lead WeWork Australia. Yes. I, I can't imagine what kind of journey you've had on your career, but uh, tell our listeners a little bit about um, sort of what you do and how you got to where you got to. Yeah, so I'm the general manager for WeWork in Australia and New Zealand. We run about 22 uh, locations across the territory, and we have about 11,000 members come into our locations on a daily basis, (laughs) pre-COVID. So the pandemic has obviously uh, threw a few curveballs at us, but uh, it's incredible to see that, you know, human-to-human connection and the resilience of our teams uh, are guiding us through this pandemic. I can't imagine how busy you've been over the past couple of months, but we'll get to that. But how did you find yourself at WeWork? Yeah, I think like I I always say WeWork, we're a hospitality organization and we have the luxury that our members stay with us, not one night, but a bare minimum of one month. So how did I get here? I was always passionate about the hospitality industry. And as a young kid, I would walk into a hotel and would be fascinated to see what's going on behind the scenes that makes an experience in a location different from the next door hotel. So that has always been ingrained from a young age. And I did a bachelor in hospitality management, but start to apply that in other industries. So my first job was actually in private banking. And my my role and job description was actually the best I've ever had. I had to organize engaging events with high net worth individuals that they couldn't purchase with their own money. So there I saw that if you apply the principles of hospitality in other industries, you know, the client engagement and satisfaction has a huge impact on the bottom line. So with that mentality, I wanted to explore other industries as well, but realized I needed a little bit more business acumen. So I moved to Australia and did my master's in international business management at the University of Sydney. So following uh, that degree, I just ran into the right people at the right time. At my graduation party, I was hanging literally upside down in a pub and (laughs) ran into a recruiter from Airbnb. And he said, come and interview tomorrow. Well, I had heard about Airbnb. This was still early days for their internet national expansion. This is a funny story about culture because I rocked up to that interview full suited up with a tie and that was <laughs> not the culture that Airbnb had. But in terms of my own flexibility, I walked out of the room, took off my tie, my jackets, put my tie on my head, walked back into the room and I said, you're hired. Um, and I think that was the perfect combination of where I could apply hospitality with a bit of the travel industry, but really, you know, bring people together. And that's where I saw a sense of fulfillment for myself. So, 
While Airbnb was an incredible experience, I wasn't part where host and guests would come together. So it was uh, a friend of mine, Tim Fung, who's the um, uh, founder of Airtasker, and he had signed a lease of 700 square meters in Brit Street in the CBD, and he said, we need to get some friends in here. So he invited me to come and have a look, and together we started our first co-working space for tech startups, which was called Tankstream Labs. And there it was fascinating where you applied the hospitality principles into the workplace and the impact it had on the business connectivity and just the general enjoyment of interacting with peers. And that's really where my uh, career in the shared workspace uh, started. So following that, uh, doing that for two years, WeWork reached out uh, through uh, my colleague from Airbnb and I said, Baller, come and join. Still the hardest decision of my life because I was doing something for myself with the founders of Airtasker and I was going to join what at that point was the biggest competitor. But having a look behind the scenes, how entrepreneurial the organization was how they truly run empowerment on all levels gave me uh, yeah the, the convincing nature to to join WeWork and expand the operations here in Australia and it's amazing I mean even over the past five six years just how much co-working has exploded across the world and and also very much locally it's probably a good segue you know we're now in you know, I guess this really interesting period where I speak to a lot of people about the future of work, and I think that's partly how people work, but it's also where people work. How's that affected your business, and and what do you see as the sort of the short term future for co working, but also more broadly, how do you think people are going to work, live, and and play in the future? Yeah, and, and it's a fascinating topic at this point in time. I feel quite lucky to be part of this movement. But in general, there was a lot of trends already brewing in the background that just got accelerated through the pandemic. And if you think about how automation is slowly coming into our lives, the technology tools that we have at our disposal, the, the pure nature of work and the tasks that we were doing started to become quite flexible, yet the nine to five, Monday to Friday, come into the office to do your work, we really ask ourselves why that has been so rigid. So I think with the acceleration of the, the biggest work from home experiment the world has ever seen, people started to ask themselves questions. It's like, okay, why do I come into the office? And what is the purpose of going into the city every day? And I think the one good thing coming out of the pandemic is that every organization is asking their employees, how and where would you like to work? work. And the data that is coming back is fascinating. So what we see is that flexibility in time and in space is the, the, the most highlighted topic that is coming out of it. And it is really transforming the office place in redefining the purpose of why you come in. So instead of having high density one-to-one desk-to-employee ratio that we have seen over over the past years, it is really like, okay, well, I want to come together to collaborate, to be creative. And all of those elements have really been highlighted through the pandemic because we we like to think about the the social capital that we create when we're together as human beings. And throughout the pandemic, working remotely, we've been slowly sipping from that cup. But yet we haven't been provided the opportunity to really refill that. And therefore, the, the office place should become a, a greater emphasis for a place to come together. I think you're right. It, it certainly has been the largest working from home experiment ever conducted. Although, you know, somebody said to me, it's not quite working from home because it's working from home in a pandemic with your kids at home screaming and your cats on your keyboard. But it, it certainly has, I think, unleashed 
some new thinking. And I think a lot of people, especially people in the tech community generally have been sort of adopting a lot of these principles already, but I think it's become much more mainstream. And and you're right. I mean, when I'm speaking to to leaders and to, and to people in businesses, certainly there's sort of two big themes going on. It's flexibility of how people are working. So, you know, the, the concept of a nine to five, five day work week is probably outdated. You know, people people have been working more than 40 hours. They've been working less. People want that flexibility. Four day work weeks are becoming more common. But, you know, when people, when people work, I think is open for question. The interesting thing about working for home is, you know, it was, it's, it's interesting to observe what's happened over the past sort of six to nine months where there was a huge novelty. Firstly, there was a little bit of anxiety at the front as people scrambled to get their home offices set up. And then there was this sort of period of settling in where everybody, I guess, got accustomed to the technology and to into a working rhythm. And now I'm seeing a desire for people to reestablish that human connection and, and to, I guess, not necessarily go back to the traditional office as such, but to really understand how do they collaborate and create and communicate with other humans as they do their work. Oh, absolutely. And I think it's, it's a layer of trust, you know, that's been forced upon organizations and their employees that, you know, we've shown that we can be productive, you know, anywhere. And I think it, it becomes really deliberate. It's like, what is the task at hand? And where am I most productive in which environment? And even for myself, like we have the luxury of in Sydney have 11 locations and I generally work across many of them. And it gives me, you know, a sense of creativity because I get to interact with different people, different environments. Yet if I need to do deep focus work, yeah, I've rearranged my own calendar. So every Wednesday I work from home, yet Monday, Tuesday and Thursday, Friday, I'm in the office to really be there for, for all of our teams and employees. Yeah, and it is funny how the space that you work in, how it affects your mood, your creativity. I was reading about an architect, I think in New York, who's created a concept called the eudaimonia machine, which is really a way of creating spaces that lead people through a journey. You know, there's like the first the first part of the office is more of a gallery where you can kind of see art and see the work product. Then there's like a salon, which is sort of like how you've got to set up here where, you know, you've got a space where people can commune. And, and to have a coffee. Then there's like a library. And then ultimately, as you go through the office, you get into a space that allows more and more levels of concentration and, and deep work. And I think there's an increasing recognition that it's about having the right space for the task at hand and, and being able to mix that up as, as you go. Is that something that you and the organization has deliberately thought about when you're designing spaces? Yeah, from the start. And we've been looking at this for 10 years already. Like we, we, we applied the principles that we acknowledge that there's a need for privacy, deep focus work, and those are our private offices. Yet the moment you step out of that private environment, you're in an area that is designed to inspire and collaborate. So if you look, if you come into our locations, there's always a certain energy because we've designed it for our center point of gravity where people automatically gather. And it's around the coffee machines and, you know, some of the more, you know, fun facilities that we have in all of our locations. But it's really that wall of energy that you feel when you walk into a WeWork location. It's intriguing. But then at the back is really looking at the psychological safety of human beings in how they want to work and where they want to work 
work. So we have, you know, nooks and boots that are always placed at the back so that you still have a sense of overview of what's happening and there's no one behind you. So it gives, creates a safe space while still offering phone booths for anyone who just needs to make a quick and private phone call. And then obviously the use of all meeting rooms across our entire portfolio. So for us, it's about creating facilities that provide optionality for employees to just pick and choose where they're most productive for the task at hand. Yeah, and I, and I definitely I've heard, you know, people calling the death of commercial real estate probably a bit early. I think it's more of the, you know, the traditional corporate offices that have got rows and rows and rows of almost like battery chickens in terms of, you know, cubicles. You know, I think that kind of office is probably going to um, diminish, but I think collaboration spaces, creativity, places where you can work quietly. I think that level of flexibility is still going to be needed. Like, I don't think we're going to move to this permanent transition to working from home. I think it's more about having optionality more than anything else. It is. And there, there's a financial equation to it as well. So if you look at, you know, real estate is a fixed asset and the longevity of leases that is still prevalent in today's commercial real estate are creating a great amount of uncertainty for executives. So if if you look at studies done on forecasting of headcount and therefore directly related to your real estate needs, what we see is that 85% of executives can't forecast their headcount requirements accurately beyond 18 months. Yet there are still leases that we have to sign up for for five, seven or 10 years. So there is already a huge gap in between of the needs and the requirements. So having that flexibility in space that you can increase and decrease on a monthly basis has a financial equation to it as well. But for us, it's really providing that environment that people want to get into the office. And therefore, we organize so many amazing things in terms of the experience. Like we welcome all of our members with breakfast in the morning. You know, we call it TGIM. Thank God it's Monday because it <laughs> should be fun to get into the office. I, I, I was a former WeMerk member and I remember that, you know, everybody going down for their breakfast, which is, I think it's a great initiative. So I, can, I can't even imagine, I mean, you mentioned the scale of the operation here in Australia. Pandemic hits, you have your moment like oh shit as a leader how did you deal with that like what 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 went through your mind when it became evident that there were going to be lockdowns potentially restrictions in in movement potentially businesses going out of organizations going out of business as a leader what went through your mind and and how did you set yourself and your team up for success yeah, it, it, it's been a roller coaster, but in a positive way. I think, you know, we, we were lucky that we're a global organization with operations in China and therefore having a great understanding what the impact is on the workspace, learning from our colleagues uh, in China. So we took some of their best practices and processes that gave us a little bit of a head start. But where it comes to the team, it's obviously a major shock to just the daily grind that everyone is in. So it, start, it started to just make sure our employees and members were safe. First priority. And then it was really aligning what was needed for the business in terms of priority. And in order to do that, you know, we immediately assembled the crisis team, a cross-functional team that really looked at all the different aspects and impacts of COVID-19 on our business, but as well to make sure that there was a platform for our employees to be able to connect to each other. And I think that's where we really took our employee first mentality. The moment we went into lockdown, we started to realize 
realized that for many employees, the feeling of isolation crept in very quickly. Even mm. after two weeks, we saw signs um, that, that impacted their mental health. So creating simple things like we did Friday wind downs. And I think for me as a leader, it was important, you know, to show my true colors that I was part of this team as much as anyone else. So we did funny videos and everyone on their home, you know, MTV Crips in, in our own. <laughs> and it really created, you know, it removed some of the barriers between that personal and professional life, which I think brought a lot of goodwill from our employees to show that we're all in this together. But then second, what I started to see is that the realignment of the business objectives in the short term was crucial. And there we're lucky that our global design team made sure that there was global consistency on how we can still open our spaces. Because let's not forget, even in a lockdown, essential businesses were allowed to come in. And as an organization, we still service a number of organizations that were classified as essential services, really relying on our facilities to remain open. So setting up our locations, like creating professional distancing, you know, sanitization processes, as well as de-densifying some of our spaces to create a COVID safe place was the main priority. And then shifting from there, it was really making sure our members felt supported and both in helping them with financial relief for those businesses that needed it most, but to do it in, in a way that is consistent um, and transparent uh, to all of our members. So in general, it's like making sure that we had the digital tools available to really keep the communication high because in, in what I've seen and learned over the years, whenever there's a breakdown or a failure in processes, communication is at the core of it. And then creating clarity and transparency for our members on what services were still available and guiding them through it. But yeah, lots lots of meetings and realignment of expectations. Yeah, and so much to unpack there. I mean, because I think, I think you make an excellent um, point earlier where to a certain degree, this is kind of a hospitality business, you it know, is. and and the and the people who work in hospitality are, are very you know extroverted and they want to be around people, and I guess that sort of impact on your on your team, I think, would have been I guess more profound than you know, I guess a, a traditional sort of business, and and I think that you know we sort of spoke a little bit before we started recording that there's this really strong link between employee experience and customer or member experience, and you took a I guess an initial approach which is to take care of your employees first, knowing that they'll take care of, of your members. What what have you learned during this period in terms of sort of, you know, what do you think went well? And, and, and I guess, how did you deal with kind of being able to adapt on the fly and kind of, I guess, keep your own resilience up as well? Yeah, and I think all of our resilience have been tested. I yeah. mean, uh, we we already had a rocky start at the start of this year yeah. uh, as an organization globally, mm-hmm. and we were realigning our business uh, priorities while dealing with the pandemic at the same time. It goes back to the underlying fundamentals uh, for WeWork as a business. Like, we truly believe in the empowerment of our employees and for them to, to make decisions that positively impact our member experience. So by creating an environment that empowers our employees to take initiative if it positively impacts our member experience, you know, had resulted into a high degree of fulfillment for our employees, especially those at the front line. But what you see as well is that going into the pandemic, we we shifted a lot of our events and member services digitally. And that has been really, really positive. But then what you see as well, that the moment the lockdown was over, our teams were like so excited to come back yet 
Not all of our members felt comfortable to transition back into the city, which is obviously very, very, very uh, normal. So to keep them engaged and productive where members were slow to transition back straight after the lockdown was probably the biggest challenge. But it was the first time as well. Like we've always been a high growth organization mm. and we finally had the time to actually look back and say, like, what are some of these initiatives and projects that we always wanted to work on, but never had the time for? And that created a lot of excitement so that there was a bit of a reset button that allowed us to refocus. Uh, and that is on the core business that is we work with our members standing central. And there's a lot of positive things that that are coming out of that uh, right now. I think it's a really good attitude. I mean, I speak to a lot of leaders and certainly there are businesses that are, you know, in decline as a result of COVID. However, I think a lot of leaders have taken the same line of thinking that you have, which is to say, okay, look, we, we definitely had to consolidate, deal with some initial issues, but now's a great opportunity to get some stuff done. You know, like we might have some additional capacity, we've got some additional thinking time. And, and so rather than taking sort of an defensive mindset, it's it's more about taking a positive, you know, offensive, which is what well, what can we get done? We've got some spare cycle time that we normally wouldn't have. I guess the other question I have on, on on, on sort of your team is, I guess it requires a particular kind of person to be successful at, at WeWork in terms of sort of that member interaction. How have you hired the the right people who can kind of deal with sort of what you've been through? And and I guess, do you hire people out of hospitality? Like what's the secret sauce in terms of sort of how you've assembled your team? Yeah, so our frontline team are the community teams and they have to be coming from a background where you are, are a member facing, you have a member facing role. So it could be anything like hospitality is obviously a, a, a clear pool there, but as well from retail. And we do see anyone who has been customer facing there has shown the resilience to deal with these difficult uh, conversations. But I think we've got some really strong values there. And I always say that, look, if, if, if you want to work for an organization where it's nine to five, your day is completely planned out, then WeWork is the worst organization <laughs> in the world to work for. Yet, if you want to, you know, make decisions on the fly, be really empowered and enjoy, you know, making our members happy, then we work as the best organization in the world to work for because it gives you a sense of flexibility in how to really build a subculture per location. And that is really empowering. But yeah, in terms of hiring, really the, the customer facing roles on any industry has been a priority. You know, you've mentioned a couple of times, which is empowering em employees. You know, I speak to many, many businesses who are looking to become more agile and ultimately increase their velocity. Um, and one of the pillars of being able to do that is to be able to decentralize decision making, you know, to be able to delegate that to individual employees. How have you managed to, as, as a leader, how have you managed to come to terms with that? And, and what kind of guidelines do you go through in terms of empowering your teams to make decisions and, and sort of being able to let go of some of those decisions that I think, you know, traditional leaders historically have felt always rested on their shoulders? Yeah, for me, there's multiple ways that lead to Rome. And for me, if if someone feels 100% comfortable with their own personality and is able to display that, you know, in their role, then, then they're customer focused. But 
they could be in their own way. So it's creating tools for them to actually be themselves, but always be customer focused. So for us, you know, the member stand centric in every decision that we make, not just for the community teams, it's it's how we sell, how we design, etc. So simple tools are like, and this is something I stole from the Ritz Carlton, but is to make a budget available for all of our community teams that they can spend at their discretion if they feel it would positively impact the member experience. So on a monthly basis, if they want to do a member gift or, you know, something, someone had a, a great life event or they raised capital, you know, yeah, the teams will welcome them with a handwritten note, a bottle of champagne or anything else that is maybe even more of a personal touch. So it's really empowering them and giving them the tools to get to know our members on a personal basis while still understanding their business needs to make a positive contribution on either their personal well-being or just business success. I think that's that's an it's a phenomenal initiative and and I know having worked in the startup community how often you can feel isolated you know as a small team and I think that those small touches where you feel connected to a broader community make a difference. We spoke a lot about resilience before. As a leader, what are you doing to keep yourself sane and healthy during this time? It's been as you said we've all been dipping into the the well of of resilience over this period of time and you know I know I'm putting on weight and not going and exercise but what, what have you been doing as a leader to you know keep your head above water and keep yourself focused? Yeah, it, it, it's, an in, it's been an interesting ride. I think I'm the first one to really, you know, take care of our employees and bring up concepts like, you know, mental health days and well-being and creating balance in their life. But in my employee first approach, I've realized that I always put myself last. And this year I've, I've realized it, that I haven't been in tune as much as I should have been. So resilience is there because I always have a glass half full mentality and see the positive side and things even throughout a pandemic but I didn't take care of myself as I should have and that came crashing down only a few weeks ago where yeah I had an anxiety attack for someone that is always so positive and has a lot of energy that was quite confronting and I realized that I've been asking all of our employees to go on holiday have a break yet my own break was more than a year ago so I haven't been honest with myself and it had to come to a showdown to actually make myself aware look in the mirror and say Baldi you need to take care of yourself in order to take care of the team. So immediately pulled the handbrake, took a two-week holiday and went back into some of the core principles that I started to set for myself last year. So for me, it's being really in tune which, with activities that create rest and mental rest in your head. So for me, that's surfing. The moment I'm in the ocean, I don't think of anything and it's my meditation. So creating deliberate time and set that aside to have those moments throughout the week really create more energy in the back. And that in return it's actually give me a lot more mental you know capacity to make the right decisions be there for the team and have more energy to give back to the team so it's taking care of myself to take care of the team and and look i think you make a good point which is leaders often feel guilty about taking care of themselves there's the whole you know leaders eat last and and you know this this concept that you put everything into your business and your team but you almost do have an obligation to the team to take care of yourself. And I think you take care of the team. As you mature as a leader, you start to realize that it's okay to take care of yourself because ultimately there's a corresponding impact. The business is better for it and and the team members as well. 
Yeah, and I think what, what I've learned this year is that I've been very transparent with my own emotional journey uh, while being in lockdown and sharing what, that with the team. And I think the, the goodwill it's created from the team that it's okay to talk about this with your colleagues on an emotional journey has, has really had a positive impact uh, on the team. So through lockdown, I organized a town hall and went through my own personal journey. I've got two kids. My wife runs her own business. We were in a small 60 square meter apartment it was hectic and it took a lot of toll on me because I didn't know when to be a father or when to be a business leader and I tried to juggle both uh, creating a lot of stresses and by just talking about my emotional journey with everyone on a town hall you know created a platform for our employees to actually you know make discuss to make this uh, topic of discussion I think one of the things that the working from home experiment or necessity has has actually also accentuated is is a level of authenticity almost forced upon people where you're essentially inside people's houses, you know, their kids are walking in the background. You know, I'm sure we've all got great anecdotes as to some strange, you know, Zoom calls we've all been on. I think I've seen it all. But I think that has further accentuated that authenticity and leadership is welcomed. Being vulnerable, being yourself isn't necessarily weakness. And that I think that our, our teams appreciate that, you know, we're, we're going through the same, ch- we're, we're human, we're going through the same journey that they're going through. And I think sometimes it's, it's even nice for leaders to have that level of vulnerability and say, hey, look, you know what, I got the problem, you know, my kids are screaming in the background, you know, I've got all of those, those challenges that you've got as, as well. And it sort of brings you, I guess, together, I think, as a team a little bit more. Yeah, and thinking about human leadership, like for me, it's been fascinating how everyone spoke about productivity. Mm. Said no, productivity almost went up, and but no one talked about what really happened, (laughs) and that is that employees knew that they were less visible for their members, Mm. and therefore they were trying to be more visible online, putting more hours. They went from Zoom to Zoom, and the effect of this, like we didn't have time to actually absorb some of the information or lessons we just learned, or or even socialize the topics we just discussed. And for me personally, I sometimes went from seven Zoom calls, you know, straight after each other, and then I still had to do the work, you know, outside of that. So I think, you know, working from home through the pandemic has actually, you know, even further blurred the lines between the balance between, you know, my professional life and my personal life. And we have to be very mindful of that. And and I think that's a, that's a great point. I mean, the snapshots that you could take almost as the pandemic went went on longer than I think. I think people thought, okay, it's just going to be a short sprint. There was a lot of fear initially, and that fear meant that people were going out of their way to, you know, I was on eight Zoom calls back to back to back to back. I couldn't even go to the bathroom at one point in time. It was, it was actually insane. I've never worked harder in my entire career than I did in those those few weeks, probably unnecessarily, to be really honest. But, you know, everybody felt that they needed to do what they needed to do. And then over time, I think an equilibrium has been established where people go, that is just unsustainable. We can't do, you know, seven Zoom calls a day. Not everything needs to be a Zoom call. You know, what is what what actually is working? And I think, you know, we're starting to rethink what our energy levels are, you know, what needs, what's essential. And, you know, I was speaking to a, a really insightful leader recently and, and he said, you know, they did see a huge productivity surge at the beginning um, of COVID. And at that time when I spoke to him, he said, well, look, we're not sure if that's based on like just 
productivity or if it's just fear that everybody's so scared of losing their job (laughs) that they just are working their asses off, right? But, you know, I think we're starting to see productivity declines now, you know, as people start to to continue through unsustainable working habits, burning themselves out. And, you know, I think that hopefully we're we're, as organisations, we're finding a happy medium and as individuals, but I think as leaders, we're responsible to set the example and say, you know what, I'm not going to hold you... It's not even like I'm not going to hold you to a standard I wouldn't I wouldn't do, but it's more, you know what, I'm going to take care of my health, my well-being. I'm going to make sure that we're not doing unsustainable work habits. You know what, it's a marathon now, not a sprint. You know, we're, we're going to be dealing with something like this at least, at least till there's a vaccine, maybe beyond. And so we need to sort of get into that level of sustainability. No, absolutely, absolutely. And I think that's fascinating for our industry when, when we transition back to real estate. Like what we see is that people's strategies will now form your occupancy strategies. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's a fundamental shift. Even if we look at what happened at the start of pandemic with the preferences, like 85% of people wanted to work from home four days a week. Mm-hmm. Now, there was a large engineering firm surveying 10,000 employees and they did the same study in August and it was only 15% yeah. that wanted to work from home and another study said at least 1.7 days a week. Yeah. Um, so the honeymoon phase of working <laughs> from home is definitely <laughs> over. The pendulum swings, <laughs> exactly. you know, back and forth. Hopefully we get to something that's, you know, sort of reasonably sensible in the middle. And, and look, I think, you make, I think you make a good point as well, which is that ultimately wellness and, and and, and that that means a lot of different things will become an intrinsic part of people's people strategy you know i think that it used to be something that people tacked on it was more of a compliance requirement or alternative it was something sort of like around perks but now you know making sure that you're employees are healthy, that they're focused, that they're well, is is ultimately really your people strategy. You know, as you sort of alluded to earlier in the call, you know, if, if your employees are happy, your customers and your members are, are happy. I could talk to you for hours, but I'll finish off with some quick fire questions if that's okay. Yeah, sure. <laughs> what is your favorite book? Ooh, I actually consume a lot more through podcast or, po- video, or, po- or favorite, or favorite now, podcast. Look, I still pick up a book. Um, uh, it's an oldie though. It's Bill Bryson with uh, a little history about nearly everything. Really? Um, so yeah. it's science uh, based and he talks very simplistic about black holes in the universe and how we came together, a uh, scientific approach. And I just enjoying reading it. Yeah. To, to make me realize where the universe Are is. Are you at. a paper book guy or a Kindle guy? So I'm still into paper books. Yeah. yeah. I haven't picked up the Kindle just yet. I'm a, I'm a 55. 50, but I'm mainly digital now. But I, I do like the the feel of a, of a real book. If you could invite anybody to dinner, living or dead, who would it be? Who would you have? Who would you have around for some some wine and some food? <laughs> well, me and my wife actually <laughs> uh, are are very social and probably invite uh, a lot of people over at least once a weekend. So it, it's always a busy household. But. I don't know I, if it's the living or the dead, and now it's horrible because his name escaped me. But it's 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 the ex-founder of IKEA. He's no longer with us, unfortunately. But like, what an amazing company! It's it's incredible, and how he rethought a retail experience to you know maximize the the customer journey while still optimizing the business route has been fascinating. And and how he applied the creativity amongst his employees and the empowerment there 
made it into the company or what. So yeah, I would love to pick his brain. Uh, it is. It's, I guess of all the business models, it's one of the most unique ones. I lived in Sweden as a side note for a while. And yeah, I mean, he's uh, he's a very iconic business leader. So fantastic. Who Who's positively impacted your career? Is there anybody who you're, you're grateful for, who's somebody who's given you, I guess, a leg up along the way? Yeah, I would say two individuals. I can't go past Tim Fung, the founder of Airtasker, because he, he gave me the opportunity to be creative and put my own stamp, you know, on a workplace by just providing guidance and uh, direction instead of this is how you should do it. And that collaboration has has really shown me that, you know, the theory and business plans are once, but the execution and personality that you give it is even more important. And so I'm very grateful for him to give me the opportunity to, to build out Tankstream Labs. But more recently, I I think we have an incredible amount of talent within our WeWork global organization and our international COO is really providing me with helpful tools and tricks that that resulted in my transition from manager to leader. And a lot of it sits as well on the, the resilience and the mental health aspect. And most recently, Sibaldi, you need to be comfortable that, you know, you are always going to be busy. So don't stress about the little things. And he gave me the tip, he says, go back think about all the things that you genuinely worried about and look how much it actually didn't impact the business and get comfortable with just that your role is always going to be busy, but pick and choose where your impact is the most. And it allowed me to be a lot more deliberate and specific in the actions I do day to day. No, I think that's great advice. I mean, certainly this concept of letting things go, you know, don't sweat the small stuff. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? I think, you know, that running a business is not a sprint, but a marathon. That goes back into mental health, how we think about things. It's, it's such a simple phrase and one I think that's, uh, that is not new to many. But if you really start thinking about what that means, it's giving me a sense of direction. So, yeah, he still reminds me of that quite often. I think sustainability is going to be the key theme for 2020 and, and 2021. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been a really, really insightful uh, interview and we really loved having you on the podcast thank you yeah thanks jeremy love the energy pleasure thank you thanks for listening to this episode if you are enjoying the podcast then please tell a friend and rate and review us on itunes if you'd like to find out more about me or the podcast then check out jamiepride.com don't forget to subscribe to make sure you get all the latest episodes have a great week and please take care of yourself